Amen. Thank you, singers, musicians. We appreciate your ministry. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Glad that you are here today. Would you turn to two or three people? Just smile at them. Acknowledge, acknowledge them. Let everyone know uh, that they are welcomed and that you're happy that they are here this morning. Amen. Amen. Would you open up with me to Revelation chapter 7? We continue our teaching series through the book of Revelation. Uh, how many of you are learning something? Amen. Amen. I'm learning. I'm learning. I've, I've taken this course in Bible college. Uh, I've heard teachings and listened to tapes and, uh, over the years, but I'm still learning. There's just so many uh, dots to try to connect and understanding to try to gain, but the Holy Spirit will help us. This is a very um, challenging book, but it's a very rewarding book, and it's a book that promises a blessing. Amen. Um, it's the New Testament book. It's the last book of the Bible that, that gives us um, a glimpse into what it's going to look like on planet Earth sometime we, we believe, just according to the prophetic word, according to the scriptures, the signs of the times, that, that in the not-so-distant future, these events will begin to unfold on planet Earth. It's are prepared. We're ready. We will not be deceived. It's important that we, we study, we learn, so that we can try to help other people. I've been so blessed by our Tuesday night uh, study. We have around 30, 35 people on a regular basis and, and, and many have testified of a renewed burden to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their families. A new sense of urgency, realizing what, could, what will happen and could happen in the very near future that they, they want to see people ready for this. So it's important. Last week, uh, Pastor Mike taught, walked us through chapter 6, and we looked at the beginning of the outpouring of God's judgments upon a rebellious and an unrepentant mankind. We understand that God is loving, amen? God is merciful. We also know God is just, he is a just God, and his justice and his righteousness are perfect in all their ways. So we understand God is just, so his justice demands that there will be judgment. But even in wrath, even in judgment, we see God remembers mercy. So we look and we see that the great tribulation Seven years on planet earth. The good news is you and I will not be here for that. We believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a, with a voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
We see in the book of Revelation from after the church is mentioned uh, dozens of times in the first three chapters, from chapter 4 to chapter 22, they're not mentioned at all until the last chapter. Seeing and indicating that God, that they are no longer on planet earth. So the tribulation that we're talking about is God's judgment, the outpouring of his wrath upon a people that have maintained a rebelliousness in an unrepentant heart. So now after the rapture, if you come to church and no one's here, but a few of you, rut row, <laughs> you don't want to be here. And that's why the warnings are given to us in the scriptures. What more could God do but warn us, lovingly remind us, make us aware of, show us what is about to happen. During the tribulation, there are three sets or three series of judgments. Three sets of seven. They're known as the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. They are sobering, they are startling, they are severe. Pastor Mike made reference last week to, to the wars or the war that we'll, 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 we will see during this time like we've never seen in all of human history. The famine that will begin to take place or, or, or uh, come into being because of the war and because of all that's going on, that it would, it would cost a day's wages. Think about how much you make. It'll cost a day's wages for one meal because of inflation. Death will be rampant. One-fourth of the human race we are close to 8 billion, not quite 8 billion people on planet Earth. So think of a quarter. Think of 2 billion people to put it into perspective. And in the U.S., sadly, we've lost uh, close to 600,000 people to COVID. Worldwide, 3.5 to 4 million people to COVID. Put it into perspective. As sad as that is and as devastating as it is, think of 2 billion so terrifying, so frightening. We're going to look at chapter 7, but just to set the background a little bit, go back to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Things will be so terrifying, so frightening, that kings, leaders of nations, the rich, the famous, the mighty men will cry out, Chapter 6, verse 16. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? We hear this heart-wrenching wail of people all over the earth as they rush into caves screaming, hide us from the face, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb of God. 
They rush into these caves trying to find some relief, some uh, uh, security, some place to hide. And they ask this question, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand before the Lamb of God, the wrath of the Lamb of God? The conditions on earth during these seven last years of human history as we know it will be so intense, so severe, so fearful. The only question that that they ask is, who's able to stand? Who's able to stand? And you see, that that question is what leads us into chapter 7 of Revelation. Because we're... We're talking about the beginning of the outpourings of God's wrath. The great day of his wrath. To modern sensibilities, to modern culture, the whole concept of wrath or the wrath of God is either misconstrued, misunderstood, or totally dismissed as fanciful. The, the mindset of a culture today, they don't mind, they, they'll accept a Jesus meek and mild. They'll accept a Jesus that, that blesses little children and pats them on the head and, and gives them a little kiss. They'll accept a Jesus that feeds the multitudes and, and does miracles, but they will not accept a Jesus who will fulfill and carry out the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. They also forget that in the Gospels, and we forget a lot of times, that Jesus at one point in his ministry, he took a cord, he took a whip, and he went into the temple, and he began to overturn tables. He began to to drive out those who were buying and selling and and, and cheating people and, and, and just profiting on religious trinkets. And he began to drive them out and he thundered with a loud voice, you have turned my house of prayer into a den of iniquity. Now, I don't think Jesus just went, oh, excuse me, excuse me, please be careful. I'm gonna turn this table over. No, I believe he went in there with a purpose with a determination, with a righteous indignation. This is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of iniquity. You know, when we look at the scriptures, we see a Jesus meek and mild, but we understand that he went to the cross to die a brutal death. He did this willingly. He did this humbly. He had all power in heaven and on earth at his fingertips. He declared, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. He boldly asserted when he was threatened with death, he says, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? Do the math. There are 6,000 in each legion, 72,000 angels at his disposal. Paul says in Acts chapter 17, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. 
And he has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. I'm talking about God's judgment and wrath. It's not something we necessarily like to talk about. We, we willingly forget, we easily forget that in the days of Noah, the Bible says that the, the intentions of the mind and the heart were only evil continually. And God said, I, it's grieved me that I have made mankind. And he decided, and, he, and, and again in his wrath and his judgment, to pour out judgment upon the world. But even in wrath, even in judgment, it wasn't this God being uh, betrayed. People can portray him as vindictive, as mean-spirited, and, and just wanting to destroy man. He offered an opportunity for escape. Noah was instructed to build an ark. He preached, the Bible says, 120 years. He was a preacher of righteousness. The ark, the door to the ark was open. People could have come in, but once the point of no return came, the door closed. We forget that in Genesis 19, there was cities called Sodom and Gomorrah that had all manner of sexual perversity and promiscuity, and God rained down fire and brimstone. We forget in the Gospels, Jesus said in Matthew 11:21, he says, woe to you, Chorazin. He said, if the miracles that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago. But you, you will receive a greater judgment because you saw the miracles and you didn't respond. Hebrews 12 tells us this, and I'd like to turn to it again, giving you the word of God and the truth of God as it is written. Hebrews 12, 25, see then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who ref refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's wrath, God's judgment, not a message that the church as a whole likes to hear. Not a message that is generally preached. It will not get people in the seats. If I was to declare, set up a teaching series or give you my title for next week, The Wrath and Judgment of God. I'm sure you'd all be excited to invite your family and friends. There was a preacher recently who preached at an influential, large Christian church. He preached in the first service. They had two services. He preached in the first service on the judgment of God. He preached on the wrath of God. The pastor came to him after 
that message after the first service. And he said, don't preach that message in the second service. Don't preach on the wrath of God. Don't preach on the judgment of God. God, help us. God, help us. And that same spirit of, of, of that just would cause us to pull back or push back from wanting to hear is the same spirit that gets people into false doctrine, gets people into hearing, having itching ears, only wanting to hear what they want to hear. But if we're going to be true to the word of God, we have to look at the scriptures and see what they say. And God has given this book of Revelation to warn mankind to warn them that that they don't go to this place to warn them that they don't have to go through this that there is a way out that there is a hope that there is an escape so the question is who can stand who can stand and very quickly some of you are concerned you're saying I didn't even begin to look into verses 1 to 17 of the 7th chapter. But have no fear. My introduction is longer than the whole body. <laughs> so the question is, who is able to stand? Chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. The Bible tells us that God sends an angel to seal, to mark, to set apart 144,000 people. There's some debate, there are some different perspectives as I've studied this as to who they are. I believe that they are descendants of Israel as they are listed, uh, 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I believe that they are these special Jewish evangelists that God uh, uh, stirs their heart and turns them uh, to Jesus as the Messiah. And they are here during the tribulation, anointed, sealed, protected to be the evangelists that will spread throughout the earth and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. The good news or what is prospective good news for all of us, good news for those who uh, will not be here, for those of you, uh, make sure you're not here. See, because the church is going to be taken out of the earth during these seven years. Think of, the, think of what the world looks like today. Think of the evil, think of the filth, think of the sin, think of the vulgarity, think of the, all the wickedness and all the forms and fashions in the world today. And the church is here. The restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in the church is here. Think of what it's going to be like, how horrifying when, when the church is taken out, when, when the salt of the earth, the light of the world is no longer here. And the work of the Holy Spirit will be here, but it'll be different. It'll, it'll almost kind of reverse back to Old Testament times in that the Holy Spirit will only be in special individuals as in the 144,000 Jews. Think about 
how all hell is going to break loose on planet earth. So who is going to be protected or who's going to be able to stand? It's going to be those who are sealed. This word seal is, is that, that signet ring that takes a doc, uh, wax and, and seals a document. And, and what that does is it validates, it, it authenticates, it, it protects what's in that document. So when somebody was sealed, it meant they had a special mark upon them. Not necessarily a physical mark, but they were spiritually protected. And that mark, as we're going, we would see in, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, is the name of God. So they're going to be sealed. Now my wife is a, a notary, and, and she has a stamp, right? What is that stamp called? A notary stamp. Very creative. That notary stamp, she authenticates someone's signature. She authenticates that document, and with her stamp, she, it's, it's, it's a, embossed. Thank you. I'm glad you came to church this morning. I don't know how I'd preach this message. But what that does is it seals that document. And these 144,000, the ones that were able to stand were the ones that were sealed by God. Now, you and I are not going to be there, but we are sealed right now, the Bible says. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the devil would destroy you. The devil would take you out if he could, but the grace of God is on you. The blood of Jesus is covering you. The seal of God is over your life. Hallelujah. Thank God this morning. These are sealed, indicating ownership, security, authenticity. And then we have another group in verses 9 to 17. And the Bible says, and I want to read this, and I'm, I'm going to be closing. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing. Who can stand? Here we have a group standing. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, worshiping God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders saying, uh, saying, answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? So again, this is during the seven years of tribulation, the church, the true church. I'm not talking about church name only. I'm talking about true Christians bonafide, blood-bought, sold-out believers in Jesus will be gone. The two groups we see here are the 
144,000 Jews that will be sealed by God, anointed. We, we call them the Jewish evangelists. They're basically fulfilling what originally was God's design for the Jewish nation. When God called Abraham, what did he say? I, I, I blessed you and you're going to be a blessing and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Jesus. And you see, the Jewish nation, they, they didn't fulfill their calling in being those, the, the oracles of God, the light of the world that they should have been. But now we see God's restoration and fulfillment in, in this time where there will be those now who will be the evangelists pointing to Jesus, Yeshua, HaMashiach. And this other group that we see from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. So that tells me that during the tribulation, there will be a harvest of souls through the ministry of the Jewish evangelists. You, will you say, well, if I miss the rapture, I'll get saved then. It's not so easy. I can't get into all of the reasons why that I can prove biblically it's going to be very difficult, but let me just give you a little bit, uh, a quick little saying. If you can't live for him now, how are you going to die for him then? So look what it says. Who are these? So, so here's the thing. Now, John didn't know who they were. If it was the Jewish people, he would have known. If it was the church, he would have been able to identify it. So he didn't know who they were. So that helps us to interpret this and understand that this had to be tribulation martyrs those who were present during the tribulation who got saved. Not that they're a different class of people, not that they're better than anyone, but they're different in essence than the others. So look what he said. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them and they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all of their tears." This morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, how do we stand? How can we stand? If you turn with me, and I just close with this scripture, Luke chapter 20. If the singers and the musicians could come back. Luke chapter 20. Verse 18, Jesus said this, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. On whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. <clears throat> now I love reading a scripture, I love expounding on a scripture that's kind of obscure and not so easy to understand and probably most of you don't know what it means and that's okay, that's why I'm here. Jesus said, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. This was talking about the life, the ministry, the person of Jesus Christ. He's the rock. 
And what Jesus was saying, if you fall on that rock, meaning there's a brokenness, there's a surrenderedness, there's a humility, there's an acknowledgement of your need of God, of your humanness. You fall on that rock in humility, you'll be broken. And that broken is not in a bad way, that means in a good way. Because the Bible tells us that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. But if that rock falls on you, now here's the judgment aspect. Here's the choice of humanity. Here's the choice of you and I this morning. When we come to the communion table, when we come to this moment, and as we remember the cross, will we, will we surrender? Will we once again in, in, in humility acknowledge that great sacrifice? Will we fall upon that rock and our hearts are broken in, in humility and we, we acknowledge our sinfulness, our, our proclivities and our propensities towards evil and we say, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. Or will we, we stiffen up and the Bible says the stiff-necked people, a rebellious and a stiff-necked. In other words, you, 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 you stiff, you, you tense up and say, no, I'm, I'm doing this my way. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own ideas. I'm going to do it my way. If that rock will fall on you and grind you to powder. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. Those that didn't fall upon the rock, those that didn't submit and surrender to God, now that rock is going to grind them to powder. The Bible says there's a fearful indignation that awaits those who reject the grace of God. This morning, people of God, I, I care for you as your pastor, and I care to please God more than anything that I preach and teach the whole counsel of God. And part of that is the wrath of God. But I've got good news for you this morning. The wrath of God, God hates sin. God has a holy hatred for sin. Because he's holy and is pure. But he has an intense, passionate love for you and I. For mankind. So how does God reconcile his judgment and his righteous indignation with mercy and love and grace? You know how he does it? At the cross. That's how he does it. Because at the cross is a perfect demonstration and a revelation of God's holy wrath and hatred for sin because he judges sin upon Christ but it's also the love of God demonstrated because God said I will take your place I will take your sin I will die in your place it was not the nails that held him to the cross it was his love. So in the cross this morning, would you stand together with me? Would you begin to prepare, open up the cup, reach for that wafer. We're going to partake together. But this morning, can we fall upon that rock? Can we fall upon that rock this morning? Can we humble ourselves Say, I need this. 
I need this. I need, I need God's grace. I need his mercy. I need his help. Because if not, it's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What we see in the book of Revelation is the full force, the full weight of the wrath of God. And even in the midst of it all, God was looking for a repentance, a turning, a brokenness. But make no mistake about it. God will judge sin. God will judge this world. He will not allow it to go on forever. As one preacher said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If he doesn't judge this world, he's going to have to apologize to the days of Noah. But he's made a way. But that door, that passage, that way that's been made will not always be there. Because the trumpet will sound. And time as we know it will change. So I, I implore you, before we partake, if you're not right with God, if you've not repented of your sins, if you've not made a decision to follow Christ as Lord and Savior, do it right now. Do it right now. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to protect you. Ask God to seal you today. Ask God to save you. Ask God to restore you. If you're backslidden, ask God to restore you today. Ask God to do it this morning. And he will. Because in wrath, God remembers mercy. So let's remember Jesus. He took the bread, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord this morning. In the same manner, Jesus Christ took the cup and he told his disciples, he said, this cup represents my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood that will cleanse you and save you and deliver you. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember what I've done for you. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink it in remembrance. Let's do that this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. May it somehow, some way, through the working of the Spirit, change us. Change us personally, but also impact our witness and our passion to share the gospel, to warn people. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just touch our church. God, that we would not minor on the majors or major on the minors. We would not be sidetracked by peripheral issues, but we would focus and keep the main thing the main thing. God, touch this church. Touch us today as we remember you in communion. God, that our lives would be impacted. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Would you lead us in a chorus as we leave? God bless you. God bless you this morning.